Welcome to another episode of the Claws Corner of the Zoom Edition. Today's guest is a pastor, magician, author, motivational speaker, podcaster, and television host. He has traveled all over the world motivating people to help them become their best possible self. Jeffrey Combs from Golden Mastermind said about my guest, he is about leadership, about being a master connector. Michael Rosen from Split Rock said, I have never seen a performer hold the audience in the palm of his hand like he did. Peter Mingles from PM Marketing raves, he is the real deal and has excellent content. Lastly, David Ledman from The Late Show proudly says, he seems like a nice guy. So please welcome to the Claws Corner, the multi-talented, the extremely fascinating, and a nice guy, Mr. Greg Dwyer. Hey, thanks for having me, Rich. Greg, so glad to have you on the show. So as I've mentioned in the intro, you wear many hats, and I want to go over everything. So let's start with you as a pastor. When and why did you decide that that was the path to take? Wow, that's a long story. That could take an hour. So let me see if I can boil that down. Uh, my mom was really religious, very religious. We were raised Catholic. Uh, she had a big impact on my, my development. While she was alive, um, I really didn't listen really to what she had to say. But she died when I was 15. In fact, she died this last week, 42 years ago. And uh, she really had an impact on my spiritual development after she left. And to make a long story short, I was doing a magic show in Connecticut because I was a magician at the time. And one of the ladies that was working backstage uh, was doing the costumes. And we were still in high school, but I was performing semi-professionally. And she said, hey, look, my dad says, if you're going to date me, you got to come to church with me. So you know how that is. <laughs> so I, I dated her, but I also went to her church. And so, you know, one thing led to another. And I started listening to what the minister had to say. And uh, that's the short version. So that's like 20, 30 years ago. Uh, and I've been doing that uh, all over the country, Pennsylvania, New York, um, down in New Jersey, the tri-state area. Now I'm in Connecticut. What, denom what denomination are you? Lutheran, Lutheran, yeah. Okay, so do you have your own, I know you said you've been a pastor all over the world or all over the country. Do you have a church of your own? Yes, I do. It's a part-time position. It's in Connecticut, north of Hartford. It's part-time. So when I'm not doing that, I'm working on my business, which is a consulting business, a speaking business, and then a travel business. So right now I'm focusing on three things because of what's going on right now in 2020. It's a little difficult to focus on anything other than just really focusing on sharpening your marketing materials. But as far as like speaking and traveling, it's pretty much come to an end. Yeah, that must be tough because we're, as we're recording this, it's in the middle of the pandemic and everything you do involves crowds of people. Right. Pastor, motivational yeah. speaking, magician. So what are you doing now? Well, right now I'm focusing on my website, which is gregdwire.com. Uh, we basically gave it a facelift. We're also working on some marketing. I work with a couple of people that help me with that. Uh, I'm planning for 2021 for travel to Israel. You know, you always have to plan. Um, but, you know, right now we're in election year and we're like three, four weeks away. So a lot of people don't do many things in election years, even though uh, we're facing this uh, 2020 situation with the virus. People have a tendency to want to wait and see. So I'm just kind of putting everything on hold when it comes to travel. Luckily, and I'm grateful that the church is open. We did close, but we went online for about four or five months. And then uh, we opened up, I think it was May 31st. And where can people find your service? 
Uh, if they go to Zion Lutheran Church in Facebook, for some reason we got the handle, which is kind of cool. So Facebook and you go to the top left-hand corner, you just type in Zion, Z-I-O-N, Lutheran Church. We do a service at 9.30. It's live and then it's uploaded, you know, in a couple days and you can watch it there. You know what I found impressive? Because I grew up Protestant and my pastor, my Reverend, Reverend Haggard, he's hilarious. He had such a great sense of humor. And I always told him, I said, I love the fact that you make each week original and fresh. And I said, how do you do it with the same, the stories don't change for the most part. What's your secret in keeping the stories fresh? Do you um, incorporate current events into what's happening now? Like what's happening now with the Old Testament and New Testament? Yeah, I mean, what I tend to focus on is the Old Testament and the New Testament, how they tie together. But you know what, you also have to tie in with what's going on. You can't be political, you can't be too uh, close to the nerve because you could alienate people. But what I love to do is make people think, you know, I have a television show, you've been on the television show. Purpose of that is to get people to think. Uh, The name of it is called Mindful Conversations. So I don't want to be boring. I don't want to put people to sleep. So I vacillate between the biblical text and then at the same time, hey, how is this playing out in the world today? Or how does it relate to you? You know, and I think, yeah, the story's the same, but the story's familiar in the sense that it can apply to us in 2020 or it can apply to us 10 years from now. Yeah, exactly. Now you mentioned you were going on a trip to Israel. Have you ever been there before? 10 times. <laughs> 10 times, <laughs> 10 wow. Times. Yeah, yeah, I've been doing this for over a decade. So I started in 2009. Prior to that, I went uh, on a familiarization tour, and I just fell in love with it. And so uh, we'll take 25 to 50 people every year, sometimes twice a year. I don't lead the tours. What I do is I organize the tours, and uh, I hand them over to a friend of mine. His name is Eod, and he's been doing this for like 25 years. Unfortunately, the people that I know in Bethlehem and in Israel, none of them are working since, uh, I guess it was March everything. In fact, they're in lockdown right now. So it's kind of sad. They have no income. The travel industry is completely dead. You're talking uh, hotels, you're talking restaurants, you're talking uh, the shops that sell souvenirs. They haven't seen uh, anybody. It's, it's It's really sad, very sad. It is very sad. Hopefully life will get somewhat back to normal sometime soon, whatever normal is. Yeah. I mean, it's been so long, I don't even know what normal will be. But You've been well, wait a minute, wait a minute. You're not, you're not normal, and neither am I, so it doesn't really matter. We don't fit into society. That could be why I don't know what normal is. <laughs> yeah, why does it matter? Exactly. As long as we're having a good time, and it seems like we both yeah. are. Uh, yeah, we are. I mentioned, though, that you said Israel 10 times. Where else have you traveled? All of your um, Greece, Germany, Turkey, Ireland, Italy. What happened was I started for a college in 2009, and I was uh, their alumni director, which was really a person that was raising money and funds like a development director. And so one of the things we did is we took our alumni on trips. So the first trip was to Israel, to Rome, then we went to Greece. So I've been all over the place. Um, it's, it's wonderful. Uh, Europe, I haven't been to China. I haven't been to Jap- uh, uh, what is it? Um, the Asian countries, um, you know, but I've been mostly to Europe. What do you do on these trips? Because it's a tour. There, It's a tour. So there's an itinerary, you know, and it's boilerplate. These people have been doing it for years. And so every day there's free time, but there's also a guide that's going to explain what's going on. And 
So it's, it's really nice. I mean, the average person's in their 50s, 60s, and 70s. Yeah. So it's retired people. It's people that can get away. They have the time, and they also have three or $4,000 to spend, you know? Must be nice. <laughs> now, you're hoping to go back in 2021. If people want to sign up for your trip, how and where can they sign up? Uh, the best way is go to gregdwyer.net. So there's a couple Greg Dwyers out there as far as websites that I but the one that's for travel is gregdwyer.net. Right now we're doing a specific travel event with the Dilly Show. The guy's on YouTube. He's got like a million subscribers and followers. And I think we're leaving November 30th of 2021. But I'm either going to put together another tour sometime that December of 2021 or I'm going to do a tour in January 2022. You know, it's crazy for me to think about these dates, you know. When you're in the travel business, you're you're always thinking a year out or three out, three years out or four years out. And it's kind of sad, you know, 2025, 2030, 2050. We have a trip for 2050, you know, it's crazy. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean? Knows what's gonna, what you're going to be doing in 2050. So, you know, I'm going to put down some yeah. money now and who knows where you're going to be. So, But check it out. I would love to go on one of those trips. The only place I ever went to that far on a trip was Romania. I had the best time. I'm the, Wait a minute. What, what were you doing there? Were you hanging out in the Black Sea? What, what was going on? What, what did you do there? Yeah, I, I was reading the Dead Sea Scrolls for fun. No, what I was doing was I love horror movies and I love history. So it was ah, Cal Dracula. 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 Son of the Dragon. Oh. And Vlad the Impaler. So what they did was half of the tour and my uh, tour guide's name was Radu. So he took us all over to the we spent halloween night in dracula's castle the real vlad the impaler then no they have, way where to got it i'll show you pictures next well, time i see it but it was a great trip okay. it was 2005 it was eight was it nine nights eight days had the best time but it was basically what you just said we had an itinerary and we went to all these different places we had the where vlad's bones supposedly were but they found out later that when they dug him up it was cat and dog bones we had to take a rowboat out to that area. It was a convent or a monastery. It was, it was okay. in the middle of the ocean. It was, it was a great trip, and I highly re recommend. The other place I would really love to go to, I'm not sure if you did, was Egypt. I would love to check out the pyramids. No, I, I, have, I haven't been to Egypt. I've flirted with the idea. I've been close to it. Uh, but I will tell you, this might impress you. I spent Halloween in Ireland, Dublin. That was kind of cool. It was very cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So two coolest places I spent Halloween because Halloween is my favorite holiday because I just love, like I mentioned, horror movies, the paranormal. We talked about that on your radio show is Salem and Romania, <laughs> Transylvania. Now, did you, did you go to Salem on October 31st? Yes. Oh and it's goodness. funny because that is their Christmas. It was nonstop. People are dancing in the street. Everybody's got costumes on. It was a great time. I, I did it once, but the thing is you can't move five feet. It takes an yeah. hour. Yeah, no, that, that, that part is true. It's similar to yeah. New Year's Eve in, in New York City. Right. The dropping of the ball. So it's similar to that, yeah. And, yeah, and the thing York, is, though, the, the thing about Salem is at 10 o'clock at night, it's over. Like on yeah. Halloween night, 10 o'clock, everybody goes home, and you're thinking, wow, it's amazing. That is very true. It's almost like Connecticut. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but speaking of New York, I mentioned somebody that said, Greg seems like a nice guy. Tell me about your experience being on Late Show with David Letterman. Okay, so this, the story is simple. I grew up in Connecticut, 
and I moved out to Missouri and I went to college and graduate work and I was pretty homesick for Connecticut, New York. And so one day while I was at the seminary, the graduate work, I turned on this guy, probably was, I don't know, 80, maybe 87, 89, you know, late eighties, right? And so to make a long story short, I see this guy, David Letterman, acting like a crazy goof in New York City. And I, I was really homesick. So I eventually got back to Connecticut. But one of the things I decided to do is to go to the show, dress like a clergy, right? Black, white, right? And I sat in the second row. And as I was sitting there, the cameraman was, you know, pointing the camera at me. He had, a, he had one of those cameras that he was holding over his shoulders. And so during the top 10, David Letterman stops the top 10 and starts talking to me, you know, while they're taping the show. And Rupert G, who has a, a deli. Called a deli, right? Right deli. on Fifth Ward in, in Broadway, was doing this running gag with uh, Kelsey Grammer. So uh, Dave asked me if I wanted to participate. So I just jumped out of the chair, walked up on stage, went over to uh, 53rd and Broadway. And I was on with Kelsey Grammer, the Foo Fighters. Are you a big fan of the Foo Fighters? So they were, they, they were on. And so 6 million people. And this was what, 95? When, when people used to watch TV, 6 million people saw it. And I got cards and letters and faxes for about a month. Um, and I also got paid. I got paid twice, the first time and then when it went on cable. So it was kind of like 15 minutes of fame. It was hilarious because the whole bit was, he owns a deli, Rupert G. I have pictures with him. As you're watching this right now, you'll see a picture of me and Rupert G. But it was, Greg Dwyer is going to touch the meat. <laughs> so you went yeah, in and touched they had the, the cold cut. Yeah, they yeah. had the cold cut. So basically it's like, Greg, the pastor is going to touch the meat right now. So he was being, you know, the double entendres. It was hilarious. I thought it was yeah, great. You know, Dave, David got a little bit of pushback on that because one of my friends, Steve, was in the audience while I was over at 53rd and, and Broadway. He kind of got booed. So, you know, he kind of really? could. Yeah, you know, because, you know, it's kind of a sensitive, you know, it's no – I was just, I just wanted to meet Dave and I wanted to be on the show and it was cool. But yeah, you push the envelope too far and it becomes a little, little crazy. Uh, but I will tell you, I, I meet people today that say, I saw you on that show. It's insane. It's, it's, it's completely nuts. And then people thought when I walked out of the stage door that I was a plant, that I was an actor and none of it was that way. Yeah, that was hilarious. Did you have a chance to talk to him? I did, but, you know, not after the show. I did talk to Paul. I went into the green room. I had to sign uh, some kind of financial paperwork. Uh, but what I hear about Dave is he's pretty quiet. He doesn't meet with people before or after. Um, so, no, I, it was just saying hello to him, shaking his hand, and that was it. But it was fun. It really made my day, you know. What I heard, too, is I've been to three tapings of his show, and I saw it firsthand. Many of the guests said, he makes me feel so uncomfortable because as soon as the camera goes off for a commercial, he stops talking. Doesn't he? Just looks right. You know, the guy's doing his makeup and his hair. He won't talk to the guests, and then he completely shuts off. And then when the camera's back on, hey, how are you doing? So yeah, he's yeah. very, very impersonal from what other guests have said. And I saw it firsthand watching the show being taped, and you were there as well, so I'm sure. But you know what? Out of all the late night show hosts, besides obviously the classics like Johnny Carson and Jack Benny, Letterman's my favorite. The guy I think is an yeah, innovator. I, I did. He, I did go out to California and I saw Jay Leno and the difference was Jay came out in a pair of jeans and a nice sweater yeah. or shirt or whatever. And he did talk to people. I got an autograph from him. Um, but you know, he warmed up the audience where Dave Letterman, 
he didn't warm up the audience at all. You know, was, I mean, I, I can't imagine it. You know, can you imagine doing that many shows over 30, 40 years? After no. a while, you're driving home that night. You probably forgot who the guest was, you know? No, exactly. Yeah. So I, I, I like David Letterman's sense of humor. His sense of humor is more like mine. I love the sarcastic sense of humor. Jay Leno was a good host. But, you know, after right. Johnny Carson, it's kind of hard to top that. So yeah, you know, glad, glad you had your Andy Warhol 15 minutes of fame. I thought it was hilarious. <laughs> Check it out on YouTube. David Letterman, top 10, yeah. Greg Dwyer. Now, we went, you were a pastor and you traveled all over the world. I want to get into, you mentioned it earlier, you're a magician. When did you get into that? Well, I'm not currently a magician. I mean, I love the art, but I don't perform magic anymore. I don't do television shows, magic shows, kids shows or anything like that. But what it was is I was over at my grandmother's house. I probably was one of the holidays. And my uncle was a dancer and his wife, my aunt was a dancer. They traveled all over the world. They were involved in show business. They hung out with people like Jack Cassidy and Shirley Jones. And, you know, they were into that sort of scene. So one day I'm sitting at the table at my grandmother's house and my uncle picks up a quarter between his forefinger and his thumb. And he goes like this and he made it disappear. And I went, what? Um, and that was it. And so he showed it to me. And I think the next year I got a magic kit for Christmas. And then after that, I got another magic kit. And then what I did, now this is going to reveal a lot about me. What I did is I took these small magic kits and I bundled them together, Rich. And I took them to school and I showed the kids. And then I sold them. <laughs> <laughs> So I said to them, I said, the trick is told when the trick is sold. So if you want to buy it, it's five bucks. So I sold all these individual pieces and I took the money down to Tannins, which is a famous magic shop in New York City. Yeah. And I bought myself my first dove pan. And then from there I got lessons. And then from there I was doing, I was doing $30, 30 minute shows for kids for birthdays. And then by the time I was in high school, I was winning awards um, I was doing magic semi-professionally and wanted to be a magician. And uh, I would say, luckily, I, I got off that path around 81, 82, and eventually went to college and graduate work. Um, it's not easy being a professional magician at all. And I'm glad I didn't do it. You know what I mean? So. Well, when I speak to musicians, most of the time they'll say, I got into music watching the Beatles on Ed Sullivan. Now for you as a magician, did you get into magic watching or seeing clips of Harry Houdini? No, you know who really, maybe, I mean, I did admire him, but really who influenced me the most was Doug Henning. Do you yeah. know the story? No, I, well, I want to, I mean, I know the story, but I want my viewers to hear the story. Doug Henning okay. growing up was probably my favorite magician because I'll get into a little bit. I think Copperfield is a little too oh. arrogant. He's too flashy. <laughs> Henning was just he was Henning was just a hippie and he was hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. all an illusion. So And you I can do it too. <laughs> he was I used to back in the 70s when we were young, they had these um specials on Sunday, ABC, and Doug Henning right. had a couple specials on. I remember watching that. But you have a special connection with Doug Henning. Tell me about that. Well, I, I think it was 74, 75 was his first show. It was around Christmas time. And I, you know, I was a kid, right? I was a young guy in, in high school, but I looked up to him. But I worked in the AV department at the high school. So what I did is I took the big tapes and I put them in and I would record it on a Wednesday and come back the next day on a Thursday and try to watch it to see what he was doing, you know? What happened was I was working in the theater, Summerstock in Candlewood Lake, 
Candlewood Theater in New Fairfield. And the magic show, which was the Broadway show that he performed in, was on Summerstock. Now, I never got to meet Doug. I wish I did. I got to meet his understudy. His name was Joe Olibaldo. And he was really just an actor playing the part. But I got to work in the props department backstage for the magic show for like a week. And so if you go to my website, it'll say that I worked backstage with Doug Henning, the magic show, which is true. I never worked with Doug, but I did work with the show. But it was wonderful. Uh, We had to sign a contract saying that we wouldn't develop, you know, develop. What's the word? What am I looking for? Divulge. Divulge. Thank you. Yeah, divulge, uh, you know, how things were done. And um, it was it was a wonderful experience. To- it was it was wonderful. Yeah. Well, you know what's funny? Two of my favorite magicians right now, currently, are Penn and Teller. And I'll tell you why I, I, I love them. Yeah. I well, know, I love I know Teller, why you love them. No, because they show you exactly how it's being done, but they do it so well in such a funny way. You're like, what just happened? And then they yeah. do it again. All right, we're going to do it a little bit slower this time. This is exactly how the trick was done. Whoa, it's even more confusing the second time. So I love the fact that they're, they make fun of magic, but they're serious about it. I've seen them right. several times in New York. I saw them at the Bushnell. I saw them at the Warner and over the, you know, the last 20 years. And they just get better and better. And the last one I saw was their Vegas show. They brought it to New York City. But that's right. when they have, they have a show called Bullshit, which I love too because they debunk a lot of things. You know, they debunk the paranormal. They debunk Ouija boards. They debunk all these different – bottled water is one of the things they debunk it's just i i'd like the fact that they don't take themselves too seriously and that's why i think i don't really i'm not a big fan of uh david copperfield because i think he does take himself too seriously and he's just uh he's he's a lot of show and a lot of flash but not a lot of content for me yeah when it comes to penn and teller they're not very religious either you know when it comes to spirituality they all they attack the whole thing about you know god and you know so i i saw them years ago i think it was in ohio and after the show was over, Penn and Teller were standing in the lobby and I shook their hands and I was talking, I think it was, I guess it was Penn. And uh, so I says, oh yeah, I enjoyed the show. And I told him what I did for a living. And he goes, you're not our demographic. And I go, yeah, I know. I just overlooked it, but yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, he, he's definitely a huge atheist. He said his proudest moment was making the kid in Catholic, getting kicked out of Catholic school for making the other students atheists. <laughs> I think there's a story behind it. What I hear, and I don't know if it's true, I hear the story behind my father died when he was a kid and he was praying. Maybe it was his father, I don't know. But he was praying, you know, dear God, if you know my mom or dad could live, I'll believe in you. And apparently the parent died. And I don't know if that's true, but that's what I heard, you know. That sounds that sounds about right. Because I know that he, he has a huge thing on debunking talking to the dead. And he proved right. how easy it is to do. He has somebody come in, one of his friends, and people are crying, oh, my God, I talked to my mother, I talked to my father. And they're like, all right, his name is, his real name is Bob, and he's our friend. He has no clue about how to do this. He's just making it up as he goes along. But so that, there could be something to that. What do you, what's your opinion on David Blaine? Because he is more of Houdini. Houdini was into endurance. Besides being a magician, right. and David Blaine seems to take that to the extreme, too, trying to see, you know, being in a block of ice for three days, being underwater for a week. Do you like that kind of magic as well? I mean, it's magic slash endurance. Yeah, you know, I'm. It's funny. I'm not a big fan of magic as I was back in the seventies. You know, early eighties. I was in Vegas one time for a convention back to back, and I must have seen twenty magic shows. I mean, I'm curious about magic. I like magic. I'll pick up a pack of cards, maybe do a card trick. I don't really focus on magic tricks that much. I did see David Blaine. It was about two years ago, two or three yeah. years ago. He's in Connecticut here. And he did a show 
very bizarre stuff, you know, holding his breath underwater. He just did something on YouTube, I think three, four weeks ago. Did you see it called Ascent? Yeah, because yeah. Yeah. he had, he so had the, uh, cool. the, the balloons and they picked them up. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's crazy. I wouldn't do that. I mean, he was up so high, they had to give him oxygen. I mean, that's yeah. pretty high. Yeah, no, he's, I've so, seen him yeah. twice. I happened to be yeah. in New York twice, once when he was underwater back in the late 90s, and maybe two years later when he was in a block of ice. And, um, you know, I, I find it interesting, and I love, you know, the fact that he takes endurance to the extreme level and shows what the human body can do under extreme conditions. But I'm still going to go with, like, for magic, I like, you know, the good old-fashioned Penn Teller. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think he did something in New York a couple years ago. Maybe, maybe I'm getting this wrong, but I think it was David Blaine. He was hung upside down for like a week. Do you remember this? Yes, you do. And then, was- and then at the end, they, they kind of let him go, and he descended down towards the ground, and then he went up and disappeared. And I think people took pictures with their cell phone, and they saw these giant black helium balloons that were flying them, you know, over to the next town. Do you remember that? I do. Okay. I saw. I didn't see the whole thing. It was on. It was on TV, and he was hanging up. I think it was by one leg or something. Yeah. And there was a lot of controversy about that, saying how he did it and how he faked it, and like how he really wasn't doing that the whole time. But you know, I guess you know, to each to each their own. We'll never know. Do you know a lot of the tricks and how they're done? When you see these magicians doing them, like, oh, I know how that's done. Yes and no. Um, some of the haven't changed, right? Uh, so yeah, so I'll watch something and I'll go, yeah, I've done it, been there, seen it, I saw Henning do it or whatever. But in the last 25 years that I've been away from it, things have changed in the last 25 years. So I was out in Vegas, I saw Jerry McCambridge, and I saw his show, The Mentalist, and I'm sitting there going, I don't get this. You know, Now I understand what he's doing because I've been to a couple conventions um, I, I started, actually, listen to this. I started on October 26, four years ago, with a show called The Magic of Communication. And so it was really like a, a personal growth, motivational, but it had magic in it. So I had to basically dip my toe back into the industry. And what I learned over the last 25 years is that a lot, a lot has changed. You know, stuff that didn't exist 25 years ago you know, you couldn't do, now you can. And so there's certain things I do, and then other things to this day, um, I don't know. And some of the friends that I, I still associate with, they won't tell you. They'll say, listen, it's a secret. And, and, and another thing is, some of these secrets are so expensive that you could never find out. Like David Copperfield, when you go to his show in Vegas, some of his illusions, uh, he, he paid off the developer. So the guy created a magic trick or an illusion and David paid them like 5 million or 2 million and said, look, don't sell this to anybody. This is my patent. So there's some things I do and some things I have no idea, which is nice because I like to be fooled. I think most people like to be fooled. Oh yeah, definitely. I think my favorite trick from David Copperfield is making himself a believable actor in the horror movie Terror Train. <laughs> oh, you remember that? Oh yeah. my goodness, you're dating yourself. I remember that. Yeah. 1980, Jamie Lee Curtis, David Copperfield. <laughs> yeah, I was in high school. I went to see that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's crazy. I can't believe you remember that. I love that movie. What about the movie? What about the movie Magic with the guy yes. with the dummy? Anthony you know, Hopkins. Oh. Anthony Hopkins oh my and, um, and um, Anne Margaret. That is another yeah. great movie. It's because you, you know don't what? have I, that movie. You have that movie on DVD. I do. I have both movies. I want to. I, I want to borrow that. I'll yeah. borrow that from you. 
it's such a great, I just, it's funny that you mentioned that because I saw that maybe about six, seven months ago and it's just as uh-huh. good as it was. It's, it didn't age for me. Sometimes you watch a movie wow. from the 70s, like, oh boy, this is really dated. This was so great because I love horror movies, but even more than that, I love psychological thrillers. And that's what that movie was. It was a horror movie. That's, that's, it was a great, yeah. it had a great story, great characters, great acting. And all around, I highly recommend that movie, Magic 1978 with Anthony Hopkins and Anne Margaret. Yeah, when I watch David, when I watch, not David, what's his name? Uh, Doug. When I watch Doug Henning, you know, the reruns, I go on YouTube and I watch yeah. him, I go, how come I like this guy? I mean, because he's so dated. You know, he's got yeah. the bell bottoms, dancing around with the silks. And I'm like, it's just, I can't believe as a young kid, I really looked up to this guy. Because he's so tied into the culture, you know? Oh, yeah. No, I, I, I do the same thing. I watch it on YouTube. But I just, I, maybe it's more for nostalgic reasons, but I love it. I think it's hilarious. And he's still one of my favorite growing up. But right. magic is a great segue into what, what you do now, motivational speaking. So tell me how you uh, incorporate magic into motivating people. Well, I was down in Long Island and I noticed there was a magic shop in, I would say, an hour, 15, 20 minutes. I guess it was more like 25 minutes away from where I was working. And so I went back into the magic shop and I started talking to some people and I thought, well, this would be interesting to incorporate this. And so on, it was Easter Sunday, I walked out with the newspaper. Do you remember Doug Henning doing this? Where he opens up the newspaper and shows it and then rips it up and then flips it and it restores so nobody from my church knew that I had an interest in magic. So one Sunday, it was an Easter Sunday, I walked out with a newspaper and I told a story about being necessarily good in the newspaper. And I started ripping it up and tying it into uh, Good Friday and how they treated Christ, you know, pretty badly. And I took the newspaper and I flipped it and it, it restored, you know, resurrection, right? And you could hear the people gasping in the church. I mean, you literally could hear the air go out of the room. And I thought to myself, wouldn't it be nice to combine magic with motivational speaking? So four years ago, October 26, uh, what would that be, 2016, I put together this thing called the magic of communication. It was 12 effects with motivational um, thinking in between it. It was good. It's not what I do now. And so for the last four years, I've been kind of taking things out and morphing it and working on it. It's my life. It's my passion. And after four years, instead of the magic of communication, it's called the power of focus. And so it's a hour workshop lecture keynote with very little magic in it. There's a little bit of magic, but not a lot. You know, anybody that would come to the lecture would not say, hey, this guy's a magician. I'm not a magician. I'm a motivational speaker. So in the last four years, I've been working on it and just making it better. And for me, I think it's really important, especially what we're going through right now, because people are all over the place. You know, they can't focus on what's really important in their life. I love your tagline, the art of distraction meets the science of focus. Right, right. Well, because, you know, as a magician, I know how to deceive people. I now, you know, when my uncle took that quarter and made it disappear, basically that's the whole philosophy, you know, the hand's quicker than the eye. But I think the problem that most of us experience in life is that it's easy for us to get distracted. We pick up our cell phone. I mean, how often does that happen every single day? And, you know, we say we want to get something done, but... It's so easy for us to get distracted. And then before you know it, the day's over, the week's over, the month's over, the year's over, and we haven't accomplished what we say we're going to do. And it's, it's kind of sad. I have so many interests. I like, you know, I have 
as you know, I've written a book, I've done stand-up comedy, I've done motivational speaking, doing some uh, gigs with you, and I want to thank you very much for having me be a part of that. But what I like to do is, all right, I'll get home from work, all right, for an hour I'm going to work on this, for a half hour I'm going to work on this. I try to, like, divide my time so I get everything done because, like you said, it's so easy to just eat, sit down on the couch, and go, oh, all right. And the next thing you know, it's 10.30 at night, like, all right, I have to get ready, go to bed for work tomorrow. So, yeah, so I try to, like, divide my time let me do this, let me do this, and then I, I feel accomplished when I do that. Like, instead of just like, oh, I got nothing done, like you said, at the end of the week. I, so I like the fact that I have a little, it's not really a regimen. I do it when I have to do it, and if, you know, if I, if I make other plans, I don't stick to it if I have other plans, but I try to, whatever needs to get done, I will get done. So I do like, I've seen you several times speak, and I want to talk to you about that because I, the first time I saw you was maybe two years ago, and then well, yeah. I didn't see you for six, seven months, and you're, you were completely completely changed the whole way you do your uh, motivational speaking. Did you have somebody help you with that or did you come up with that all on your own? No, I've, I've had a few people help me. Uh, one guy, his name is Tim David in Massachusetts. He's been speaking for years. He used to be a magician. Now he's a speaker. He's written a couple books. Um, the funny story about that is I ran into his book, I think it was Barnes and Noble or Borders many years ago. And then I joined a group of entrepreneurs and Tim happened to be in it. And then Tim, Tim and I became friends. He helped me. And then about a year ago, I hired a guy to take a look at my script and my messaging and to change it. So what I do now, and of course I'm talking theory because I haven't, given the lecture since COVID. I think the last lecture I gave was down in Westport, I think it was February, but it's changed tremendously. And, and it's changed for two reasons. Number one, the people that I have surrounded myself with who have given me feedback professionally. And the other thing is I've changed. Like I have really grown and figured this out. Like I'm obsessed on this. This is all I think about sometimes. And so I'm constantly thinking about it. So it really has been more of taking things out than adding things. Like I started with 12 magic tricks. Now I can walk in a room with just a die, you know, a dice, and that's it. I can do a whole hour without any props. Um, but it's gone through an evolution, and I'm really proud of it because it's taken me four years. And I think if anybody's going to do anything, you really want to surround yourself with people that can take you to the next level because if they've done it, you can do it too, you know. Well, no, I've, as I mentioned, I've seen you several times, and I love the fact that it's motivational, but you keep it interesting, you keep it fun, you keep it light, but you make so many great points, and by the end of the, your speech, you feel motivated, like, all right, I want to go take on the world. So yeah, I, I, you definitely, I mean, with what you've done yourself and with the help that you've had, you're, you're heading in the right direction. So you, I know that you do libraries, you do schools, and you also help businesses and you not only in a personal level like I mentioned but you help businesses engage employees improve productivity increase revenue and delight customers so how'd you become such an expert with that well here's what I did I did libraries for two years and you want to be bad not in your market so yes. I didn't want to I didn't want to call up Procter and Gamble I didn't want to call up IBM and say hey let me work this material out and so like you're a stand-up comedian a lot of people like Jay Leno or David Letterman or these people if they're going to try out new material they'll go to the comedy club and so what I did for about a year year and a half is I went to libraries all over Connecticut and I tried out the material and I, I recorded it I went back I scripted it so I'm done with schools. I don't do any schools anymore. The last school I did was in Meriden with you. 
which was a great gig. Uh, but I don't do schools anymore. I don't do um, colleges. I don't go to libraries anymore. I have one library that I booked two years ago, and I think we're going to do it next year. But I don't. That's not what I do anymore. So what we did is we took this message and said, "How can we reach people that are in the business world?" Uh, here's an interesting fact: most people that work in an office are distracted every three minutes. So if you're in an office with 10 or, 10 or 12 people, you have people that are doing their work and every three minutes, you know, the cell phone goes off or there's a text, something on social media, YouTube, whatever. So the sad part about it is it takes a person about 25 minutes to get back on, on task. You know, that's pretty bad. So I thought to myself, where can I, where can I make the greatest impact? And that's the business world because people need to focus. And I've said this for years, focus is important when it comes to leadership. If you have focus, you can be a good leader, you know? So it's really essential for leadership. Well, you mentioned that distractions cost American businesses $650 billion per year. Where'd you get that figure? Uh, it's an online course. Um, I think it's Udemy, is that how you say it? I think so, yeah. Yeah, so we caught it for there. I, a friend of mine and I put together the website. We worked on it during the COVID, March, April, May, and June. And so he came up with the tagline, but he did the research. So I think underneath there, there's a little asterisk that says where that came from. So $650 billion of wow. wasted money because people are wasted on doing other things. It's kind of sad. Now, if a business wants to get in touch with you, touch with you where can they reach you? The best place is just my name. My first name is Greg. My last name is Dwyer. So it's G-R-E-G, D as in day, Wednesday, Y as in yesterday, E-R, just gregdwyer.com. Really okay. simple. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have a certain fee that you charge? Well, you know, I was thinking about this today because I figured you were going to ask me. I've done pro bono. You know, I've gone into churches and schools and places that are nonprofit and I've charged nothing. And I've also had a sliding scale all the way up to $5,000. So, you know, depending on where I have to go, if it's local, it's not going to be that much. If I got to get on a plane, which I, I can't wait to get on a plane, then it's going to be over $5,000. But depending on where it is, how I have to travel to it or where, when do I have to get to it, how many people are in the room. So it, everything is negotiable. And approximately how long do you speak for? An hour. An hour. And I just added something that I didn't share with you. I'm also doing a four-week follow-up course. So the people that are in the, in the class or in the lecture, they have an opportunity to join a four-week follow-up that supports what I talked about in the hour. So, you know, not only are you listening to me for an hour speak about a topic that I really think is a, is a life changer for you, you also have uh, four weeks of follow-up training that keeps you on track. Get your money's worth. Yeah, yeah. Now, one of yeah. your goals is to teach how to sharpen your focus into a habit so it becomes automatic. How long does it take for a behavior to become a habit? Well, some people say 60 days, but I think it takes longer than that. Um, the longest I've ever gone, you know, not biting my nails has been a year, right? Um, and I don't bite my nails anymore, especially since of what happened in COVID as far as back in March. Um, I don't think 30 days is enough. I don't think 60 days is enough. I think it takes longer than that. I think people underestimate, you know, what they can do in a week or a month. I think it probably takes maybe three to six months. So 
it's really about rewiring your brain. And if you don't rewire your brain, you're going to fall into patterns of doing the same thing over and over again. Similar to when people start off, you know, after December 31st, that's it. I'm going to the gym. I'm going to go there every day. I'm going to get in the best shape of my life. And then January 15th, well, let me take one day off. And then January 16th, you know what? I'm so tired. I'm going to take, I promise I'm going back on the 17th. And then you end up never going back. So yeah, to become, for, become automatic, you just have to keep doing it over and over and over again. And for well, me- Well, you know, I don't know if you know this, but 98% of the people that make New Year's resolutions don't keep it. Only 2% do. So I, I was thinking about this. I'm like, why don't people stay- you know, on track. And I, I think number one, the biggest thing is they don't identify what's really important to them. I yeah. think what they do is they, New Year's Eve is coming along and they say to themselves, oh, I have to make a resolution or I have to do this. Most people don't even do it anymore, but the people that do it kind of feel pressured to do it. You know, I want to get out of debt or want to find the love of my life or whatever, but you really have to identify something that's really important. And I think that's the first step. And I think most people don't even get to the first step. Yeah, I agree with you. Yeah. You mentioned a little bit about this, but what is the power of focus? It's three things. It really comes down to knowing what you want, which is what's important to you, as I just said. Number two, making it a habit. It has to be a habit. So this is what I learned, and I was shocked by this information. The average person has about 45 to 65,000 thoughts every single day, right? You remember that movie Groundhog Day with Bill Murray? Yeah. Okay. So the guy wakes up every single morning at six o'clock, the alarm goes off, it's the same darn song, and he's basically reliving his life. And we love that movie. I have it in the other room, and I watch it on February 2nd. That movie is pretty much like most people's lives because we have 45 to 65,000 thoughts every single day. Now the kicker, 90% of those thoughts are repeated the next day. So if you ask somebody at work tomorrow, hey, how's, how's life, how's things? Same old, same old, and it's yes. true. So we have a pattern. I have a pattern, you have a pattern. 45 to 65,000 thoughts every single day, 90% of them are the same. So the first step is to identify what you want, which is outside of those 45 to 65 thoughts, right? And then you have to reprogram your brain over and over again so that you get what you want. And that's what I talk about in the lecture, the power of focus. Well, when I talk to people, I've done some motivational speaking myself, and my whole thing was get out of your comfort zone. What, right. what, because I, I hate the comfort zone. I think it's just you become stagnant, it becomes boring, and I hate boredom. I love trying new things. I want to, there's so many, I have so many interests. So I always tell people, I said, you know what, try something that you're uncomfortable with two or three days later, that's going to be comfortable. Then jump out of your comfort zone again, try something new, and eventually all these things that, well, we, like you mentioned, it's going to become habit, it's going to become automatic, and you're going to feel comfortable. You're going to, like you said, going to the libraries before you went to the businesses. You don't just jump right at Procter and Gamble. All right, I'm ready. You have to just, you know, build right. it up, get better and better at it. And the only way you get better at doing something is to do it over and over again. So I, I, I love think that. I think what it is, is people don't want to face the anxiety. You know, yeah. we're all anxious. I mean, especially today, we're anxious. Here it is. What month is it? It's October, right? October 2020. Uh, this has been a crazy, crazy year for a lot of people. But even without what's been going on for the last five, six months, people have levels of anxiety. And when someone does something new, there's these thoughts, am I going to fail? Am I going to be able to do it? You know, there's the, the, the feeling of success or failure. So I think, I think the first step is to recognize that you're going to have anxiety. 
Like there's no way that you're not going to be nervous about something. You know, a woman wrote a book many years ago, you know, feel the fear and do it anyway. Right. Yeah. Well, did you well, ever jump out of, you ever jump out of a plane? Several times. <laughs> yeah. Okay. There you go. Like I'm now, actually, it's yeah, funny. I, I call myself the stand up skydiver. The last time <laughs> I was in Tennessee, I no, I did my act as I was g jumping out of the plane and down into the ground. It was great. I have the whole thing. I'll send you the video. It's uh, that's hilarious. Fun. So I was doing my whole stand-up back. So yeah, I I really don't get nervous. It's funny. I, I don't know what happened, but I think that the nervous gene doesn't exist in me. People always say, you have like the fearless gene. And I must because a lot of people will mention, and you brought up a great point, being anxious. One of the most things people get, the, the biggest thing people get anxious about are speaking in public and dying. Those right. are like the two biggest right. things. And to me, I love speaking. I the bigger the crowd, the better. <laughs> I love a big well, crowd. You know, when, I feel more comfortable. I mean, I feel comfortable, you know, talking one on one. But within a big crowd, I feel just as comfortable, and I'm having a great time. But I, I guess that's not everybody. <laughs> yeah, I can't wait to get out there again, and I can't wait to take you with me and have you open for me. I think the last time we did something together was what the Happiness Club was. That the yes. gig? Yeah, that was kind of cool. I think there was like 40 people in the room. It wasn't a bad gig. It was nice. No, and that led to what I'm going to be doing soon. I was I was supposed to do it last June. It got canceled. It's called The Second Act at the Palace Theater in Waterbury, and they just contacted wow. me. They want me to do the 2021 version of it. So I said, all right. So it looks like I'll be back at the Palace, and I'll, that's sort of right. a, The second act is people over 50, where the first, half, the first act was just a rehearsal. <laughs> yeah, I feel that way. You know what? It's funny. I'm going to be 58 on Christmas. I feel like I'm in the prime of my life. You know, I, I have friends that are retiring. They're in their 60s and they're like, when are you going to retire? I'm like, what are you talking about? You know, they worked at the post office. They worked in a store. They did something for 40 years and they just can't wait to retire. Rich, I feel like I'm in the prime of my life. I will not want to retire and I'm really happy about what I'm doing right now. No, you know, I feel the same way. I love, I'm 52. And I tell people, I, I work with people that are in their 20s and they're like, oh, I said, you're 20 or 25 years younger than me. What are you talking about? They're like, Rich, nobody is like you. I don't know where you get your energy from. I feel, the, I mean, I'm doing the most I've ever done. I feel the best I've ever felt. So yeah, age is just all in your mind. I, I hate when people say, oh, I'm too old for this. I'm too old for that. As long as you're not like, neglecting your responsibilities, as long as you're paying your bills, as long as you're going to work, why can't you have fun? People think that when they reach a certain age, they have to stop living. And I don't agree with that at all. And obviously you don't either. I, I think you have a different mindset. You know, I know I have a different mindset, but yeah. I recognize it in you. The average person, I don't know, they go to college, they get a job, they do something they don't like, and they can't wait to retire. And I don't know. When I was in high school, I said to myself, I don't want to do that. I don't want to put off my life for 40 years. I want to do what I want to do. And I want to do it now. <laughs> I've always felt that way. There's one word that I will never, ever utter, and that word is settle. I will never settle for anything. I do what right. I want. You know, if I, I want, you know, if I want the job that I want, you go for it. If I want the, you know, the hobby that I want, I go for it. I'm just not going to say, oh, I don't have time for this. I'm too old for that. No, I just figure, why not? And you brought up failure. I want to bring this up really quick because I love that quote from Michael Jordan, and he brings up a great thing about failure. He goes, you know, I was asked, I'm, I'm paraphrasing here, but, you know, 60 times I missed a rebound. I was supposed to take the winning shot 12 times. I missed 11 times. I failed over and over and over again, and that's why I succeed. Don't be afraid of failure. The only way you can succeed is if you fail. Right. I agree.
hundred percent. I mean, I've been in business for 20 years. Some of them made money. Some of them I lost money. I never stopped, you know? Um, yeah, I, you know, the person that succeeds, I think number one, I illusion is that it's easy. I don't think it's easy at all. That that's the first thing I would tell people. And the second thing is, you know, you have to fail. And I don't think there really is anything to failure. As long as you learn something, how can you label it as failure? It doesn't make any sense to me. So if you tried something and it didn't work, but you learned something, why would you label that failure? And I think it comes from our school system that you have to get the right answer. And if you don't, you look really bad. And I think it's part of brainwashing. And I think it's part of conditioning to keep the same. So I don't know if it's a conspiracy, but it does sound like a bunch of cows. <laughs> if it's not conspiracy, it's definitely conformity. And I don't like that yeah, either. It's conformity. Yeah, it's conformity. It's like, you know, we just want you to stay in line and do what you're told. And I, I don't know if you can tell this about me, but I was really rebellious in high school. Really? I never had that idea from you. <laughs> yeah, I, I, did not, I did not like what I was hearing. One time I walked in with a needle this big. It was a big sewing needle. And I stuck it in my arm. And it was just an illusion. I think it was rubber cement. And I went up to the teacher and I says, can I go to the nurse? I, I, I basically have this needle in my arm. Do you have a Band-Aid? <laughs> yeah. Oh, she freaked out. Rich, she freaked out. She, she thought, you know, I was just crazy. I mean, I just, I just could not wait to get out of high school. So. You know what I like about you is that another reason I think you're so successful is that you're open-minded. You're a pastor. I am. And, yeah. Yeah. No, say so as a pastor, sometimes you see like the, the I'm going to use this as an example, the the um, Catholic priests, they like believe in the Ten Commandments, believe the Bible is the word of God, and that's it. There's no other way. I like the fact that you can look at it and say, well, you know what, maybe this is open to interpretation. Maybe we can look at it this way. You're open-minded, and you know that um, if something changes, you're not you're not against it. And I, I like that well, about you. Well, you know what I think? You know what I think it is? I think it comes down to this. Like you and I are on different political sides, but we're still friends. And, yeah. and I know people, I know people on Facebook, they can't even talk about politics. Now I'm not saying I'm perfect. I, I've had some friends that I have unfollowed because I've just had it with them. But I think it comes down to just wanting to learn. Like I'm pretty solid in my faith, but at the same time, I don't have a problem listening to somebody else talk about their thing. You know what I mean? So I'm not so indoctrinated in the sense that I'm afraid that I have to fight for my position. You know what I mean? So yeah. that's, I think that's the reason why I appear to be open-minded. I mean, I'm anchored. Don't get me wrong. I don't want to be like a flake, you know, or, or, you know, somebody that's not committed to something, but I'm not brainwashed into thinking that this is the only way to think. And, and a lot of that comes through NLP, Neuro Linguistic Programming. Did you ever study that at all? No. Neuro-linguistic programming started in the 70s with John Grinder and Richard Bandler, and it was basically out of the uh, therapeutic world. But what they taught, and this is what I really learned, is every single one of us have a different map of reality. So like, think of your cell phone. You have a cell phone and you're looking at GPS. I'm looking at my cell phone, I have a GPS. Your friend does. Every one of us has a different map of reality. And maybe the reason why you and I are friends is because maybe my map and your map overlap each other on certain areas, you know? But if we were to sit down and talk politics for a day, maybe we wouldn't wanna be hanging around anymore. If we were to talk about, I don't know, something controversial, but I just look at it this way. No two people, even, even people that are married, 
they don't have identical maps. Even my sister, I grew up with my sister. She doesn't have the same map of reality that I have about even what happened to me when I was a kid, what happened to her when she was a kid. So I think that's what, that's what gives me flexibility. It's, it's from my NLP training, which means flexibility is the key. Yeah, you know what though? I like people that are different because if everybody go back to conformity, if everybody looked like, talked like, sounded like, life would be boring. I like somebody with a different opinion. And it was Dalai Lama who had one of my favorite quotes. He goes, when you talk, all you hear is everything you know. When you listen, you actually learn something. And right. like you said, there's things that you and I completely disagree with. You're never going to convince me. I'm never going to convince you. I'm not even going to try, but I really don't care. We're friends. Right. And, somebody I, and I don't, I, yeah. yeah. And I don't care either, you know, and I also went through Dale Carnegie training. If that says anything, I used to work for the Dale Carnegie company, how to no, win friends right. with people. So there's certain things you don't want to bring up in public because you're not going to win friends. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of books, you mentioned a yeah. book before you wrote a book. Tell me about that. I wrote an ebook and people can get a hold of it. It's called how to use the power of your mind. You just go to Greg ebook.com. It's just simply my name. What happened was I came back, uh, I think it was a convention I went to in Vegas. I think it was out in Vegas and I came back and I just sat down for a couple days and I just wrote this book. It's not long. It's basically a report. I think it's under 15 pages, but it talks about how to use the power of your mind. And the whole uh, angle of it is, you know, this magician, this former magician is going to tell you how to focus and use the power of your mind. And it's an evergreen piece, meaning if you read it today or you read it five years from now, it would apply. Uh, it, it talks about meditation, it talks about focus, it talks about habit, it talks about gratitude. And if anybody wants it, they just have to go to www.gregdwyerebook.com. You put in your email, I don't charge anything for it, and then it goes right uh, your, your email. But I, I like it because it um, it's something that I'm proud of. It's something that is relevant, even though I wrote it four years ago. And uh, I get good reviews on it. People come back and say, really, thank you. I, I've been following what you have said, and it's really changed my life, which is, it's kind of cool. Yeah, that is a good feeling. Yeah. So I, I know I've done, you know, my motivational speeches, even doing stand-up comedy, I've had people say, you know what, Rich, you really inspired me to do this. You really motivated me to do that. And it's a good feeling when you don't, you don't even realize yeah. you're just being yeah. yourself, just telling what you, telling others what, you know, you think is right. And people say, wow, that really made me feel good. That really changed my whole perspective. And uh, that's happened to me several times. And I'm really proud of that. So what is the entrepreneur's inner circle? Okay. So it's a group in the UK uh, that I belong to. It's a secret. So Rich, I can't tell you. No, just kidding. Uh, uh, it's a group of people run by Ken Dine uh, to help performers become more of business-minded people. So I've been involved with it since 2016. What happened was I uh, joined the group, and then shortly after, I was asked to speak in Vegas uh, for the organization. They had a convention, and they let me be one of the speakers. Then they asked me to come out to the UK, to London, to give a presentation, which was pretty cool because I could put on my resume international speaker now, right? Uh, and then I was asked to write for the organization. So every month I write an article. Um, every single person that's in the group, and there's about a hundred of them, are either magicians or jugglers or comedians. They're performers, but they don't necessarily know how to market themselves. And so every month there's a uh, question and answer 
There's also a, a book that comes out that's mailed. In fact, I got mine today. And there's also online course. It's kind of like uh, the master class, if you're familiar with the master class, for entrepreneur performers. And so I've been with them for four years and I'm, I'm happy to say that I'm also writing for them. So that's kind of cool. But I never took that class, but doing all the different things I've done, I've had many people in other fields like comedy, authors, can you help me promote myself? Can you help me market this? I just love, I, I actually enjoy the marketing and promoting aspect of it, which most people don't. Oh, I don't like talking about myself. I said, in order to get your name out there, you have to make it seem like if they don't go, they're going to miss the best show ever. Everybody's going to be talking about it. And you're the one, you're the one that's going to be left out. And it's funny how many people ask me to help them market themselves or promote themselves. So I, I think I have a lot of the same, I, without taking that class, a lot of the same beliefs and a lot of training that you had, like, you know, how you do. I, I maybe was just born with that. My, that's my GPS. Yeah. And, you know, you know, Darren Brown out of the UK, does that name ring a bell? He was in Broadway, I think last year or maybe two years ago. Darren Brown, he's a mentalist. Do you, yes. you know? I, okay. I, I definitely so I watched the lecture. Yeah, I watched a lecture that he did a couple years ago, and someone asked him, hey, how do you become successful in business? And they wanted to know, because he's a big name in the UK, and he says two things. Two things are this, really simple. Number one, you have to be really good at what you do. So if you're a stand-up comedian, or you're a motivational speaker, or you're a magician, whatever you're doing, you have to be really, really good at what you do. You want to surround yourself with people that are going to you know, help you and tweak it. And you really have to have a class app. Number two, you have to be really good at marketing. And so about 25 minutes later, they ask him another question and he sits back and he goes, let me tell you what the answer to success is. Number one, you have to be really good. If you're not good, people are not going to rehire you. They're not going to give you word of mouth. And number two, you have to be good at marketing. You have to be both. And, and very few people can do both. Some people are really good artists, they know how to paint, they know how to play the guitar, they know how to sing or whatever, but they don't know how to promote themselves. And then you have some people that love to promote, but they're terrible. They, you know, you would never want to see their artwork or listen to their message. So you have to be able to have both. Or if you can't do it, you have to find people that are going to help you, you know, and it's not cheap. You know, you hire a graphic designer or somebody to edit, you know, they want hundreds of dollars to do some of this stuff. So it's, it's a process. It takes time. Speaking of promoting, that was a great segue. Two of the best ways to get the word out and promote yourself are radio and television. And you do both. So let's start with your podcast. Tell me about that. Well, a good friend of mine, I've known this guy for 20 years. Um, he just said to me one day, he goes, you want a podcast? I'm like, okay. So I don't know how many podcasts we've done. Um, it's called Blog Talk Radio. But it's Sunday night at five o'clock. It's live. I mean, so maybe once or twice a year I do a rerun because I'm out of the country or something like that. But it starts at five o'clock exactly, gets over 5.30 exactly. There's a telephone number that you can call into. I think people can go to www.gregdwyerradio.com. So it's just my first name, gregdwyerradio.com. Your episode that we just did is on there. Um, and there's hundreds of episodes. The weird thing about it is people are listening, but I don't know where they're from or who they are because I'm getting email responses from people. So I did it, I think religiously, pun intended, probably for like four years. Uh, I was going to quit about a year ago and I decided to stay with it. So, but that's what I do. It's not a real radio. It's obviously a podcast over the internet. Well, you know what I love about podcasts and doing shows like this on YouTube 
I interviewed Ted Neely, who played Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ Superstar. I had somebody mm-hmm. comment from the ne- Netherlands, tell me how much they love this interview, how much they love the show. So I love the fact, you know, back I was in radio back in the '90s, and I was lucky if somebody heard it, you know, the next state over. That was like, wow, somebody in Massachusetts is listening. Now somebody wow. in the Netherlands is listening, and I love the yeah. fact with social media and, you know, um, podcasts and Zoom shows and YouTube channels, you can get your word out all over the world anytime, anywhere. Right. Yeah. The world has changed. I, I, you know, I feel this way in some ways it's wonderful. And in some ways I'm kind of a little leery about the whole thing, you know? So, you know what I mean? It's like a double sword. Yeah. Well, it goes back to what you were saying. You know, it's great for promoting yourself, getting your word out. But then if people just use it to look at Facebook for four or five hours a day and they're just wasting their their time yeah that to me is a waste and i think it's dumbing down the nation which we can get into a whole other conversation about that i think that it's 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 really i mean kids we have the best technology ever we can find out what's going on in china right now and i think the kids are probably the dumbest they've ever been i mean not everybody i'm I'm generalizing but what i'm saying is that like people can't read, read cursive writing anymore they can't do simple math without a calculator so unfortunately, I think that's where, you know, the social media is dumbing down the nation. Yeah, you know, I saw it in 1992. 1992, I was in Cleveland. It was my first church. And one of the guys from the congregation gave me a laptop that was refurnished for like 100 bucks. And then I, you know, got on American Online and then got on, you know, a website. Uh, fortunately for me, I was able to buy my name, gregdewire.com. I don't know why. But this guy said to me, he goes, you know, what's your name? I says, Greg Dwyer. He goes, let me give you some advice. I said, what? He goes, you need to buy gregdwyer.com. I'm like, all right, I'll just do it. His name is Orville. So Orville, if you're listening, thank you. So I just bought gregdwyer.com. And um, I'm very happy that I did. But at the same time, I'm kind of sad that, you know, I hear families sit around after dinner and they each have their tablets and they're all looking at their news and it's all different, and people aren't communicating that much anymore. Kids don't know how to communicate. So, again, and not to promote myself, but I, I think this topic, you know, the power of focus, I want to get people to think about, hey, man, what's really important to you? Is it knowing what's going on politically? Is it, not, you know, is it what's going on in the world as far as Facebook and Twitter? Or is there something else that's more important, like maybe relationships? Maybe that's more important. You know, yeah, so that's, well, that's kind of what I want to do, you know? real relationships, not how many Facebook friends you have, how many real friends you have. And I think, unfortunately, things like Facebook and Instagram are making kids more depressed because people will put these fun pictures of themselves having the time of their life, and other kids will sit at home going, oh, my life life sucks. I wish I had fun like this person. Meanwhile, that person's probably just as depressed, making themselves look fun to somebody else. So I think there's a lot more depression out there due to things like that. Everybody's trying to keep up with somebody else. Did you see this thing on Netflix called The Social Dilemma? No. Okay, so I just watched it last week. It's called The Social Dilemma on Netflix. Netflix. It says exactly, it's a documentary. It talks about exactly what you're talking about. That they interviewed people that used to work for Facebook and Twitter. Their agenda is to keep you addicted. That's, that's the first agenda, to keep you addicted that you come back over and over and over and over again. And second of all, suicides are on the rise, especially with kids in grammar school, because exactly what you just said, people are looking at it, they're examining their life and saying, my life sucks. 
I shouldn't say that, but my life is terrible. Yeah. And then they, some of them take their life and it's terrible, you know? That's why, you know, I can use me and you as examples. I do not compare myself to anybody at all. Like I know I live my life. I don't really care what anybody else is doing. I'm having a good time, not bothering anybody. And if you like me, come along for the ride. If you don't get out of the way. <laughs> well, you know, the other thing is you can't please everybody. I mean, no, so I don't want why, to. why bother? Yeah, why exactly. Bother? I don't want to. Right. I don't want to please it because then you're not, I mean, there's no way you can keep everybody happy and I would never try. But then if you are trying to keep everybody happy, you're not being yourself. And I'll give you an example on what I mean. With my stand-up comedy, because I have cerebral palsy, so I was doing a lot of jokes about that. And people are like, oh, you know, you shouldn't joke about this, shouldn't joke about that. You have a bigger audience. I'm like, I really don't care how big the audience is. I have my rabid fans that come see me all the time. And they love me. And the people who don't like me, I don't mind either because at least they're talking about me. If they hate me, right. they're talking about me. If they love me, they're talking about me. What would be the worst? You're like, oh, what did you think of Rich Sear? Who? What were you talking about? Oh, was that that guy on the stage a couple? Of, yeah, I don't even remember what his jokes were. But So I never tried that. I'm just using comedy as an example. But same thing with writing. There were people that read my stories like, oh, my God, I would. that's not good. I don't like that. And they're like, well, you know what? That's not your cup of tea. Other people said, Rich, I love that story. When are you coming out with your next book? So you just you do it for yourself, and the people will be there don't don't try well, to please anybody else and i luckily i never i mean i was always like that my mentality was so i've never really been depressed i've never really cared what anybody thought of me and i'm the happiest i've ever been well i mean one of the things that really has impressed me about this whole political um campaign on on both sides is you got people that think one person is great the other one thinks the other one isn't you have celebrities like I don't know I don't I don't need to mention names but you know just a celebrity a singer people say oh I don't like her I do like her and you think to yourself you can't please everybody I mean it's impossible and why bother I mean you don't want to come to the end of your life and say wow I really just wanted to be all things to all people and I never really got a chance to express myself this is who I am Take it or leave it is what I hear you're saying, Rich. Yeah. Well, no, this just happened literally today. I was reading this. David Crosby from Crosby, Stills, and Nash and Young. Yeah. Somebody asked him, hey, what do you think of Eddie Van Halen? His only response was, meh, M-E-H. People are saying, ban David Crosby. Oh, my God, I'm never going to buy another record from him again. He's horrible. Never see him in concert. I said, all you use three letters, M-E-H. And I mean, obviously he's a legend and he really doesn't care. He's not going to be losing any sleep over people getting mad. But the fact that people are getting so upset for somebody going, eh, I don't, he, he's not really my cup of tea. Oh my, I mean, so that's, it, social media has gotten so bad. We can, that's another whole conversation where, you know, it's either us against them. If you don't agree with me, you're not my friend. I don't want anything to do with you. And that's what it's become. It reminds me of my high school it reminds me of grammar school yes exactly that is funny let's get back to you <laughs> but actually this is pretty much all about you because a lot of this you talk about and you incorporate into like you know be yourself be do what you want to do and focus the power of focus right so right the other thing we you mentioned it before besides the podcast which is great you also have a tv show called mindful conversations now is it primarily an interview show yeah, what happened was my neighbor uh, in Bantam here where I live said, hey, you got to go call up uh, Carol Moore and be on her show. So I did. I went on her show. And about a year later, I went on her show again, and she was interviewing me for cable television. And as I was walking out, Doug, the producer, said something to me like, hey, would you like a show? 
And I had been thinking, you know, while I was on the show, yeah, I'd love to do this. So I said, Doug, yeah, let's do it. He goes, no, go home and think about it. I said, Doug, I don't have to think about it. Let's do it. So we did maybe four or five shows in months. And then we went to the point of doing a show every week. Um, it's an interview. I bring people on. The name of it is called Mindful Conversations. We don't script it. This is one of the things. Uh, just like I don't have the questions you're asking me beforehand. I don't ask the people any of these questions before I interview them. We have a conversation and that's it. And then out of that, uh, another television studio in Farmington, Connecticut picked me up and we did another show called Mindful Conversations After Hours, as you know. And they're running right now without me because the, both TV shows are, are done. They're dark. They're not, they're not filming. Uh, but it's interview style and it's basically being curious about people about it is it reaches thousands of people what kinds of what kind of guests do you have on your show crazy people like you <laughs> <laughs> no i love it because you have paranormal investigators like zach yeah. or um is that his name what's his name oh, zach. oh john zaffis yeah john, john zaffis. Zaffis. i'm thinking yeah john zaffis sorry um he's yeah. ed ed lorraine warren's nephew yeah and that was also, fun that was really fun i've seen um authors on there you've had me on Author. there so, yeah yeah so you basically Business people yeah somebody asked me they said well, what kind of guests do you have on your show i said anybody who's interesting i don't really care what they do as long as they're interesting because there's so many I, i'm the same way as you i i am very curious i love learning about people i love learning new things so i will have you know i've had actors musicians motivational speakers um i had the people that own the conjuring house on so i mean i'll i'll interview anybody there's a guy um he's gonna be on the show soon he was on a tv show called holy moly it's a human uh, mini golf course it was a tv show i met him oh, okay. at a mini golf convention i said hey you want to be on the show and it's just interesting he goes around reviewing uh mini golf courses all over the world so it's wow yeah so it's just i, I i'm just like you or um where i like interviewing people that are interesting and I, I watch your show i listen to your podcast and it's always entertaining Thank you. Yeah, and I'm always looking for guests. Hopefully next year we're going to get back into the TV thing. Right now, we haven't done anything. So it is what it is, right? Yes, it is. Well, that's a great follow-up right now because what's next and where can people find you? Best way to get a hold of me is just my name, gregdwyer.com. If they want to read my ebook, they can go to gregdwyerebook.com. Uh, you can download that for free. But you can find me on social media. I'm not that much on Facebook anymore. Um, one thing that is really kind of cool is if you go to gregdwyer.com, there actually is a quiz that you can take that, you know, talks about attention and focus. And what I love about it is it only takes about five seconds and you have the results immediately. So that's kind of cool. You know, we wouldn't want to tell someone, hey, look, fill this information out. We'll get back to you in a week because people forget that they filled it out, right? But yeah, if you go to gregdwyer.com, there's a quiz there and they can put that information in, uh, take the quiz and see if you pass. I gotta tell you, out of 100 people that take it, only one person maybe out of 100 gets all the right answers. So it's right. pretty interesting. I'm gonna be taking that very soon. <laughs> I'm curious to see what I get. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Greg, it's been great having you on the show. There's, you've done so many things and I can only imagine what you're gonna be doing next. I mean, pastor, magician, motivational speaker, entrepreneur, friend of David Letterman. What haven't you done? <laughs> and that was kind of cool. Yeah, that was kind of cool. That My 15 really cool. minutes of fame. And thank you for having me on this. I really appreciate it. Yeah. 
Great guest, and come back anytime. Thanks so much. All right, well, that wraps up another episode of the Clause Corner of the Zoom Edition. I would like to thank my guest, pastor, magician, author, motivational speaker, podcaster, and television host, Greg Dwyer, for being on the show. And I would also like to thank you, the viewer, for tuning in. Enjoy your day, everyone. And...